Does America need a civics lesson? I'm Garland McWaters, and this is the Spirit of Leading podcast. Lyndon Johnson, the 37th president of the United States, said, The vote is the most powerful instrument ever devised by man for breaking down injustice and destroying the terrible walls with it, which imprison men because they are different from other men. And add to that, I might say, that there is no government too powerful that it cannot be humbled at the ballot box. If you want to change the world, vote. On this episode, we're going to hear from someone who has devoted his career to encouraging young people to get involved in politics at all levels, and he walks the talk. My guest on this episode of The Spirit of Leading is Dr. John Wood, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Central Oklahoma. I said he walks the talk. He also served eight years on the City Council of Guthrie, Oklahoma, and four years of which he was also Vice Mayor. Dr. Wood, thanks for joining us for this episode of The Spirit of Leading. Thank you for having me. I want to tell our audience that we are recording this particular episode about seven weeks before the 2018 in, uh, midterm elections. Thinking about Oklahoma, which is uh, involved in the governor's race and state offices races on this time, uh, how do Oklahomans typically perform when it comes to turning out at the polls? Not very well. Uh, in 2016, about 50% of eligible voters uh, didn't vote at all. You know, in the United States, we don't vote very, at very high rates, really. Uh, we're 152 uh, out of 175 uh, worst democracies when it comes to voter engagement. So we're not having a, they don't, we don't have a very good voting average or batting average, I guess you could say. Uh, Oklahoma is not very good. We're seventh in the country when it comes to uh, voter engagement at an average of uh, 58.3% in 2012, for example. Yeah, the I, latest think, I think that's saw. seventh from the bottom, isn't it? Seventh from the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seventh from the bottom. It's not giving ourselves too much credit, yeah, right? <laughs> seventh from the bottom. Seventh worst. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're not uh, at, at very engaged as a state or a country, really. And that's something I want us to explore a little bit in this episode is you know, why that might be so, because we place such a big deal on the value of democracy and participation in the ballot box and so forth, but yet on a good year, just barely half of our registered voters turn out for a big election to elect the president. So we're electing our president with 25% of the vote, basically, Yeah, and it gets down to that. Yeah. Well, and that's an election, uh, a presidential election year. Right. Congressional election year, it's down to 30%, it's so 70% aren't engaged in electing our congressman. When it's city council, it's more like 90% are not engaged. Right. So it's a, it's a real issue. It's uh, it's something that really needs a, a, um, a lot of attention. So uh, starting to get the young people into the habit of voting when they're young is certainly an important thing instead of letting them wait until they get 45, 50, 60 years old before they think it, uh, it actually means anything. And so in uh, Oklahoma, we've been watching uh, the races form in Oklahoma and it seems like this political year, uh, there is a sort of more of a heightened awareness going on with all of the narratives that are going on in our national politics. And uh, we're doing better this year, it looks like, doesn't it? Uh, well, yeah, in terms of uh, uh, folks running for office, sure. And, yeah. and it's really on just one party. It's not the other uh, as much. And I think it's uh, unfortunate because I, I think we're such a one-party state 
a lot of folks see that there's only one game in, in town. And so it's a Republican Party. And so that's where you see uh, the uh, engagement in terms of a uh, number of people running for office. And, yeah, and you can see that in the number of runoffs. They're almost all Republican. Uh, there's only like you know, one. I know in Logan County, uh, where I vote, there was like one race for Democrat, but there was like a whole page for Republicans when it comes to runoffs. Right. They seem to take over all of the local offices. I was very curious when the filings uh, 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 started happening in, in April, uh, how many races would go unopposed, because that's really been a problem over the years. And I was just pleasantly surprised that this particular year, there's almost no races that are unopposed on the, for the State House of Representatives. The last time I looked, uh, there were just a lot of Democratic candidates on the ballot, but they were almost all women. That's what mm. was fascinating to me. They thought, this is the year of the woman, and uh, they seem to be showing up. Well, you know, I, I just had a, um, a political uh, junkies panel yesterday. One uh, gentleman, I think it was actually uh, uh, Bill Shepard of the Sooner Poll, he said, really, it's the year of the teacher. Mm-hmm. It, it was three things, he said. It's the year of the teacher, the teacher, and the teacher. Whether the Republican or Democrat, and so it's interesting, if you see in the recent runoffs, uh, seven of eight um, Republican candidates um, who are incumbents lost their runoffs. Seven of eight. Now, mm-hmm. there's some for various reasons, but there's definitely an education type of uh, theme going on. These all voted against the pay, hi- uh, pay hike for teachers. Almost all of them uh, didn't escape their own primary. So only like one or uh, one, but uh, out of the uh, runoff, but I think three or so uh, won their primary. And so uh, really, the, uh, there's a big loss in the number of those folks who are. Uh, what, what I call the Liberty Caucus, and a lot of people call the Liberty Caucus, they're the ones who are against pay hikes and, and, and tax hikes of any kind. doesn't matter what it is. If it's for the common good, they don't care. Um, what I think is interesting is a trend, unfortunately. I'm not sure what's going on there because there's this trend that seems like a positive trend uh, for the public sector and for schools is that they got rid of these incumbents who are far to the right, who are against any tax increase whatsoever, even though we hadn't had a tax increase since 1990, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Uh, and that's Stitt being elected. Stitt is an anti-government uh, business guy, much like Trump. Um, and, it, and he pretty much is in the mold of a lot of these incumbents who uh, were against the pay hike. And, and in fact, he was against the pay hike for teachers as well. It uh, makes for an interesting conversation yeah. of the, the trade-offs uh, between the party label and actual p- the stance on a position. Yeah. Uh, because I think there will be a contrast uh, between the uh, the Democrat and the Republican candidates for governor on that issue, yeah. and so we'll see what holds. You know, yeah. will it be the label or will it be the uh, the stance on the issue itself? It's interesting if you look at the legislature, you get this kind of sense that education is a Democratic issue and it's not a Republican issue. But if you if you actually look at the teachers, fifty over fifty percent are Republican, mm-hmm. uh, K through twelve, and only forty three percent are Democrat, and the rest are independent. So this is really not a Republican issue. It's not a Democratic issue. It's an Oklahoma issue. Education's for everybody, and right. it actually makes the future generations of our state uh, employable and independent and smart, uh, right. and moves our state forward. So. Now you've been uh, very involved in at the in, in uh, the political scene at the local level. Something yeah. I alluded to in the introduction. Uh, 
what possessed you to want to get involved in uh, local politics uh, uh, at, at that level as a candidate? You know, I got into uh, political science, and I, you know, tell you the truth, I think the Gulf War was kind of a pivotal point in my uh, thinking and my change and my uh, thoughts about, you know, caring about the government and thinking about what I, you know, why was I there? It really pushed me to start thinking about um, what I was doing and stuff. And so uh, I got into journalism first, and that that was kind of a thing I realized that uh, I really enjoyed. But it really got me also to think about there's perspectives out there. There's not just one way. There's multiple ways. I decided to go to grad school. I got into uh, political science because uh, I realized, well, that's where people are making a difference at that level. At OSU, they had a program, Environmental Policy and Conflict Management. And so I thought that would be uh, fascinating. So I thought I would do that. I ended up getting a job at Rose State College. And so I started commuting from Stillwater to Midwest City. Bonnie and I decided, well, we need to find a place that's maybe more in the middle. And, and, and we found Guthrie. One of my f uh, philosophies is the idea that uh, if I ask my students to be engaged, then I should be engaged myself. So I found th ways to do that. The Lions Club, um, I helped start the Neighborhood, neighborhood um, Association, uh, the Central Neighborhood Association that was there. I helped do some various projects, and I thought, you know, I went to some city council meetings. I thought, yeah, I could do that. I could, I could be up there and do that as well. So um, an election came up. I called my wife, and uh, she, I said, There's, it's filing period this week. Um, I'm thinking of running. And she said, I thought you might do that. So, uh, and this was in 2009, and um, I had already taught uh, a campaign's elections class a few times, and so I'd read some books on how this works. So I felt like I could do this. And so I just started, uh, I, I came up with some um, ideas on what I was going to focus on, you know, neighborhoods, small business, uh, ethics reform, things like that. And uh, I created a uh, hanger, had my wife, she helped me with the hanger. Uh, and then we, I just started knocking on doors. I, I got a list and started knocking on doors and knocked on any, as many doors as I could, uh, went through the whole ward. Um, and then I... Uh, walked again and I just put hangers on the on those doors and um, then I, I basically got second in my uh, in the primary it was against a, a vice mayor a guy who'd been around a long time he was vice mayor but then I, I uh, walked the ward again I knocked on doors again um, and then I hung hangers again so I walk I got walked that ward four times uh, I don't think my opponent walked once. Um, he called his old friends. He called his family, put signs out on street corners and stuff like that. And how I found out about that is I would go and uh, walk. As I walked, I went and talked to people. And this one time, uh, uh, I went to the door, and, and the guy said, oh, yeah, well, hey, what are, you know, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm running for office. And he says, oh, well, my uh, uh, cousin is the, the incumbent. He said, well, you know, I don't really like my cousin that much. Uh, why don't you put your sign in my yard? <laughs> I'm like, oh. And that, that was a change for me because, you know, he said, go next door, and you should put a sign in his yard too because he doesn't like him either. And I'm like, it kind of uh, – I went from, oh, I don't know if I can beat this incumbent. I'm not sure to, wow, not everybody likes this guy. That gave me a lot of confidence. So I started talking to people who had signs in their yard even. So – there's this one lady uh, who was sitting in the street, and it, it was dark at night. So they were sitting, uh, kind of cooling off and, you know, relaxing in the front yard. Went to them. They're like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm just, you know, running for office. 
they were like, oh, okay, well, my uncle is the incumbent. And so I was like, oh, okay. And so we started talking about issues. And I asked him, so what do you guys think? And she goes, wait, my uncle's never asked me what I thought. You know, maybe I'll think about voting for you. You know, I was like, wow, okay, that's awesome. You know, I get momentum, and I beat him. I, I won. I upset the incumbent, the vice mayor of Guthrie, which was pretty awesome. I learned a lot. I, I went out there, wrote aggressive for the first four years, uh, talked to a lot of people, tried to do some change. Uh, I did on the downside. I mean, what I realized is that uh, it was funny. My The first uh, manager said, um, and, and actually told my wife, she goes, you know, John, he's got all these ideas, but we don't have the resources or time to do all these things, which, you know, to me, that was a kind of a realist uh shocker in some ways because I, I you know being an idealist I thought oh I can do all these things I can change all these things and the reality is not everybody was on board because you know um, they don't have the money and time or at least they didn't feel like they they should or would how to engage a city council I think a lot of people don't realize that um, how do you approach a city councilman I learned a lot about that and I learned I realized over time that a lot of people don't get that there can be also clumsy engagement if that makes sense and you got to be smart and you have to be um, organized uh, you have to have a lot of people who are smart and organized you can't just win stuff just because you care well and it goes back to uh, the idea that all politics is local and what you were just describing there was the simple dynamics of meeting the people next door, knowing the people in your neighborhood, listening to what they have to say, and realizing that the things that are closest to them, closest to their daily experience, is what they're going to be voting about. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and, and so, how do you, how do, how do we translate that to say a house race, which is obviously would be probably the next step up in terms of uh, geographical spread, and then a. A state senate race which is a little bit larger in scope and things of that nature at what point do we lose the local aspect of it or uh, do we uh, do we kind of get uh, a step or an arm's length away from what really is important on the street level well i i think some things to think about on city council it's a non-partisan race which is very different i went to democrats and republicans that means when you go you knock at everybody's door if, if you're on the house level you're talking about a larger district uh, you're talking about if you're a Democrat, you you initially, especially, only talk to Democrats. You're Republican, you only talk to Republicans. Um, uh, you have a walking list, and that that's all you see, and that's all you engage with. And so we're not really engaging both parties; we're engaging our own party, yeah, especially that, initially that's in the primaries. A, that brings up a kind of an interesting aspect of our political process. At what point are our political parties not functional, and I mean, what's good about them? What's not good about them? What gets in the way? what really uh, adds to the understanding of our process the through political parties hmm. well one of the issues i have is like for example why is a sheriff running on a party platform you know there's not republican criminals and democratic criminals <laughs> or crimes that are republican or democrat there there are you know crimes that people commit and whatnot there should be nonpartisan sheriffs we, we make things too partisan you know uh, there's other positions out there that shouldn't really be partisan. Even on the county level, why is that necessarily partisan? Why is our treasurer partisan? And, and a lot of the arguments are, well, people won't turn out and vote, which there's some truth to that because the council, they don't vote. But they won't vote just because they don't have a party label, then there's something else wrong there, right? Um, you know, imagine if judges were, were partisan. Thank goodness they aren't. But 
uh, you know, one of the issues there is campaign finance reform. Uh, did you know lawyers can give money to judges? And guess what? I mean, imagine how a judge would uh, oversee a case right. with a ju with a, a lawyer that gave him a contribution, a nice one, and not one who didn't, and gave to his opponent, for example. Would that influence the outcome? And there's actually evidence that shows that does influence the outcome. Right. So why are we having even elections for these judges? That's really re and they can't even talk about anything because they can't talk about how they're going to rule on anything. So uh, judge elections are very clumsy, and people won't vote on them. So for example, they tend to be on the back of a ballot, and then the people leave that stuff blank. Mm -hmm. And so that it's really the whole system. I think has issues. Uh, the partisanship, a lot of people don't think beyond party. So if I'm a Republican, I just rep I vote for my team. Democrats, I vote for my team. You know, there's not a sense of, and we're doing that more and more, by the way. It used to be that there's a lot more split party voting. But now, especially even on the ballots, you can just say, I want Republican across the board or Democrat across the board. I don't have to think about these people, right? I don't have to right. think about these candidates. And I think that's a, a, a huge issue. Um, we don't see the consequences of that, and I think that a lot of people are very separated from the consequences of, of uh, their lack of caring and, and their lack of knowledge. Well, they don't really have to think and pay a lot of attention, so they really don't know what's going on, and so that just so it becomes sort of that vicious cycle that feeds itself, and pretty soon, you know, we uh, find ourselves uh, selecting people we don't even know or... They're selected by such a small percentage of the electorate that... Well, uh, and here's one of the issues. So 50% of the folks uh, don't vote in, in Oklahoma elections on even presidential election times. And in a congressional election like this year, 70% won't engage and vote, right, who are eligible. Um, what does that mean? So let's say 70% don't vote. That means 35% do. That means that almost 18% pick a winner. So 18% are reflected as a voice of a representative in the state house or state senate, something like that, right? 18%. So that means that the really, what, 82% of those folks in Oklahoma are not being reflected at all. So, I mean, that's a huge issue, right? right. And so if they're not being reflected, no wonder. You know, when, when you see these people focus on certain issues that no one cares about, well, it's no wonder if we like we see a disconnect and we say, well, what's the point that doesn't relate to me? Well, it doesn't relate to you, partly because you don't have a voice in that, and you may never will, because most, even in Oklahoma, most of our districts are gerrymandered. I mean, that's an issue that we're starting to focus on as, as academics, even. I have three mathematicians, one GIS specialist, and myself in a, in a working group talking about gerrymandering. Even the, the uh, fifth district, which is the least gerrymandered, has a 10-plus uh, score, which means that it's 10 plus advantage to the Republican, and that's the least gerrymandered congressional district in the state. I mean, if you go to the third, it's something like 34 percent. So, you know, the reality is you can't get a Democrat elected. Well, what's the issue there? Okay, so if you're Republican, you're like, I don't see a problem with it. But if you're a Democrat, <laughs> one, you have zero chance. So why engage, right? right? Why, you know, we find that people don't engage if they can't, if they have zero possibility of winning. When people engage, they engage when there's actual competitiveness, when there's actually ability to have their voice somehow be heard if they work hard enough and engage. That you can't do that in Oklahoma. It's not worth it for most of the time. And even in these Democratic districts, it's called cracking and packing when it comes to gerrymandering. And so if you go to a Democratic district, like center of Oklahoma City, 
those are are created are packed to say like 80 percent advantage to a democrat well it dilutes the other districts so other districts around there are like 50 you know some percent 55 percent advantage mm-hmm. in the republican well a lot more republicans get elected and then they have democrats have no say in the house or senate and they do not reflect uh, the percentage of the registered voters so the registered voters are about 38.7 percent of Democrats in the state and about 48% Republicans. What's interesting are 15% independents. Mm-hmm. Um, so why aren't there closer to 38% Democrats in the House and Senate? You know how many are in there? 12% in the Senate are Democrats. 12% six seats, right? So not reflected at all in the Senate and only about 26% or so in the House. So they're definitely underrepresented. Uh, what's interesting is independents aren't reflected at all because in this state you don't have an independent party you have an other an other right. which is very demeaning by the way and <laughs> as, as someone who's been independent uh, other why you know i see that every time and i'm like ugh, i'm an other i mean okay whatever uh but they're not reflected well what's the fastest growing group in the state independence independence yes. it went from about two percent ten years ago to 15 percent of the whole electorate today uh, they're not represented at all uh, and you know who's representing at the highest rates as independents in the state Millennials and generation Z I was going to say the younger younger voters younger probably folks. yes they're the yeah. high they're the fastest growing independents what yeah. that means is our young people are not engaged uh, which is scary because if they're not engaged that means that how their voting patterns as a young person uh, is reflected down the road if they don't vote when they're 18 they're not voting when they're 34. Let's talk about them for a second, because, uh, you know, you, you work with, by and large, young people in the college age and, and young professional age group. What are you hearing from them about uh, their sense of engagement or interest? I've been really focused on what's called Generation Z lately, and a lot of people don't know what it is. They, they, they just assume if you're young, you must be millennial. Well, actually, um, Generation Z was born 1995 and after, so... Uh, 23-year-olds and younger are Generation Z. They're not millennials. They're different. Right. And they're not radically different, but, you know, they're the first generation to be born in the age of the World Wide Web. They've never seen a world that was outside. You know, they've always been connected. Mm-hmm. And so that's a different worldview. Uh, what, what's also interesting is, is politically what they are. You know, millennials, 39% are actually liberal. Only 25% of Generation Z is liberal, so they're actually going down, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, one is Generation Z um, is actually more tolerant. They're some of the probably the most tolerant generation we've ever had. They're the least racist, least sexist, uh, least homophobic generation we've ever had. However, they tend to be more conservative when it comes to economics. Mm-hmm. They've gone through this boom and bust. They've you know the recession. Uh, budget cuts left and right. Uh, people talking about how we're, you know, we're, we're in huge debt now, twenty-one trillion dollars in debt. Uh, they see a lot of issues with economics, and they tend to be more conservative. What's fascinating about that, if you think about, um, government should not dictate uh, on the side of tolerance. That's typically a Democratic thing. Republicans tend to say, "Keep my hand, keep your hand off my pocketbook." Well, that's libertarian. I think these students, or these just these uh, Generation Z kids, uh, are are more libertarian than we've ever seen before, and, and I think that's an issue. 
like they don't see the reason for government in a lot of ways, I right. think. And that's an issue. That's a huge issue. And they're not engaged. They're not voting at very high rates. Uh, you know, I think you said some like 11 percent are voting. Um, that's a huge problem for our, our future. And what's sad about this, if you can have you look at a normal curve, right? If you look at a normal curve in our society, uh, ideology reflects a normal curve. So on the left side, very few people are hardcore left. On the right side, very hardcore right, very few, right? Most people are in the middle. But if you flip that into a U, that's engagement curve, right? Those people on the far left are much more engaged. The people on the right, far right, are much more engaged. The people in the middle are not engaged. Right. And that's one of our biggest issues. You've got to get more people in the middle who see both sides engaged. If you can engage those folks, we're going to have a politics that's not as radical. And it's not going to be a politics that's so way far to the left and far to the right. And then people, I think, are just confused. Um, we don't have stability. Uh, we get, you know, uh, hardcore people uh, and hardcore policies on the presidential level and congressional level as well. Um, and it turns people off. And people start screaming at each other. When you get people farther on the left, further on the right together in the same room, they start arguing and screaming and fighting. The average person's turned off. The average person's like, what's the point in all this? I just want to, I'm going to put my head down and just work and just do my thing and ignore the big picture. What's been your own personal takeaway? How has all of this uh, experience and this insight uh, uh, been important to you as an individual? How has it changed you or helped mold you? Well, I feel like I'm a better teacher uh, because I, under you know, I understand some more of the ins and outs behind the scenes in politics. Um, I feel like uh, I've made a lot more connections. As I tell you, as a city councilman, I've made connections around the state with the City Management Association of Oklahoma. It helped me get this job, for example, is with my expertise in cities. Uh, I'm, one of my good friends is the head of Oklahoma Municipal League. Um, you know, I've, I've made a lot of connections, which are real positives, positives for the positive for this job and for the MPA program. So, um, but bringing in examples in class are great. I'm hoping in my class, if I can get them excited, if I can get them real life examples, of my engagement and set that example, I think that'll help students um, be more engaged themselves and feel like that they can be part of the system and maybe make a difference. And I, I think there's a sense that you have to make change the world or something. But the reality is, if you just did a, a little thing mm -hmm. here and there, you can, you know, all of us collectively can make a difference and make this a better world. But it does take as many po people as possible to engage. And unfortunately, people don't and uh, we got to get more people involved and I think that's one of the big questions one of the big mysteries how to get people turned on to politics when so many are turned off and that's I think that's going to be our goal for my in my lifetime you know one of the things in my leadership classes I've tried to stress with my students uh, and I asked them I asked them in class who gets elected to office and of course, you get the the typical answers. Well, the person has the most money. You got to have a lot of money to run, or you have to have uh, friends in the right places. The uh, people of influence have to support you. Okay, well, I guess that would be helpful too. Uh, they'll say the person who gets the most votes. Well, that's obvious. And so uh, I hear a lot of uh, very uh, correct, very correct and obvious answers to that. And then I say, well, but there's one thing that you're forgetting, 
And I said, well, what's that? And I say, the only people who get elected to office are those who run for office. And uh, so no one walks up to you and says, hey, I think you'd be a great state senator. I think we just ought to appoint you. That doesn't really happen anymore. And uh, so you actually have to run. Yeah. Uh, you have to get out and make yourself available. You have to prove yourself. You have to prove yourself. You have to knock those doors. Just exactly. I just loved that story about uh, you. We assume so often that well, I can't possibly win this race, so I just won't try. Right. Well, I've talked to a lot of people who've been elected office who who were probably told that you know, and they, and they said, well, you know, I think I'll give it a try. And the next thing you know, they're taking the oath of office. I think a lot of uh, young people. I think that maybe it's beyond their reach to be a viable candidate. And and then I just remind them, look and see what the Constitution says about the eligibility to hold office. What is it? And it basically says you got to be at least 21 and you got to live in the district you represent. Yeah. There are no other requirements except that you have to convince people that you're worth their vote. And you don't have to save the world. I think that's another right. thing that we think about in terms of our political leaders is, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're a Robert Kennedy or they're, you know, they're, a, they're someone who is going to make big things happen and, and, and change the course of history and so forth. And it's, but really, it's like you just said, it's the little small things that happen in the community that, or even in a state that uh, make significant differences down the road or they lay the groundwork for the next thing to happen. Uh, maybe we've just become jaded over the last uh, 25 or 30 years that, that things are really not, uh, not worth the effort that a lot of people have kind of dropped out. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, maybe through efforts like yours and uh, you know, your enthusiasm for your work and, and uh, d- helping to educate our young people about the value of public service and elected service, that maybe that's gonna, we're going to turn the corner on well, that. Well, and one thing I want to note here, though, and, and this is uh, harking back to a conversation I had also today, was that we focus on the kind of the sexy, interesting issues, uh, what I call content issues like gay marriage and, and uh, you know, abortion and things like that, when the reality is we got to deal with process issues. So campaign mm-hmm. finance reform, uh, you know, ethics reform, gerrymandering. These are all issues that make your eyes glaze over on average, but are the most important things. Because if those things are dealt with, these other issues will matter or, or come to fruition better. And why? Because you get more different voices involved Mm -hmm. in that process in a very fair way. And the more voices you have in a very constructive way, the better you're going to have implemented policies that make sense and that are long lasting. One of the problems now is we have one side will force things (laughs) down people's throats. And then what they want to do is they want to, you know, abolish them next time they get their hand in there and they, they, they run the show. And so they're not long lasting. And I think that's one of the issues. And people just get angry because, you know, one, it was very one sided. And then two, we just were getting rid of these old rules that, that I did like or something, you know. And so we have to deal with more process issues, you know, making sure that we have more time to vote uh, and not restricting those. Mm-hmm. Um, asking whether a voter ID is really helping or hurting in, in our electorate we got to somehow turn that around and make those issues important and focused on. Well, as a business consultant myself over the years, the the working, working out, uh, teaching management classes and work process classes and things like that, you realize that the real 
the secret sauce of most organizations is the processes by which they do their business. Right. And, you know, not necessarily the product they sell uh, or the who's the head of the company or whatever it might be. Uh, or the benefits that the company pays, all that kind of all that sexy stuff we were talking about earlier, but it's actually the way they go about doing their business that makes the right. difference. And right. and not not only that, but what I found in that area is that when the processes don't work, the people who are responsible for carrying out the the work of the business get frustrated. Yeah. Because the process doesn't work. Right. And it shows up in disengagement and uh, in disillusionment and a lot of other things. And maybe we're having something similar happening in our political system is that the reason people aren't engaged is because the process does not work yeah. as intended. Yeah. Not well, that it can't, but it I, just doesn't. We got to be more engaged because if you don't have a say so into your, in what's going to happen in your future, you may be screwed. Yeah. Well, it's certainly true. All things are local. Everything affects us locally in some way, no matter what level the decision is made. And I guess uh, maybe we answered the question, does America need a civics lesson? Yes. yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we agree I, yeah. that it really does. And it's, a, it's a, something that we all need to really understand the process of our government a whole lot better at the local level as well as the national, national level as well. Listen, I want to thank you, to, uh, Dr. Wood, for joining us. Uh, it's been a fascinating uh, time to listen to these perspectives. Thanks again for joining us. I really appreciate your You're time. You're welcome. Anytime. That's Dr. John Wood, who is an associate professor of political science at the University of Central Oklahoma, my guest on this episode of The Spirit of Leading. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of The Spirit of Leading. And until next time, I encourage you to live each and every day empowered to encourage the spirit, to enliven the heart, to enlighten the mind, and to enlarge the expectations of living in yourself and in others. I'm Garland McWaters. Thank you.